This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Oh, welcome to the podcast, Scott. <laughs> How dare you welcome me to my own podcast? Uh, well, you know, I just felt uh, it needed to be said. All right. right? Yeah, I guess you, you did run the show for one week. <laughs> yeah, one time from the past. <laughs> I ran it from the past. Well, time machine. you got to do that, right? Yep. You are older than me, even though I just had my birthday. So. All right. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Well, we got a pile of releases here, a pile of recent arrivals, that is. Oh, I like those. Shall we talk about them? Please. Okay. Um, first up, from uh, Penguin Audio, I've got a couple here. Um, the first one is called The Books of Elsewhere, um, The Shadows, by Jacqueline West, read by Lexi Friedel. Um, I hope that's how you pronounce her last name. That's one of the things I worry about is mangling everyone's name. I probably do it to everybody. Um, this is a, uh, middle grade book that my daughter has already listened to. So if I can figure out a way to make a review out of it, she loved it. How's yeah. that for a review? Yeah. Uh, you my, know, my daughter, I, by the way, is 10 years old. I want to see a 10 year old's review. I don't care what it looks like as long as she wrote it. Okay. And you told her what she needs to do, you know, like talk about the book, blah, blah. Right. That'll right. work. Okay. So what she tells me what it's about is, um, this house in which the paintings are places that you can go to. Okay. Okay, so um, let me just read the description. When 11-year-old Olive moves into the crumbling old mansion on Linden Street, she's right to think there's something weird about the place, especially the walls covered in creepy antique paintings. But when she finds a pair of old-fashioned glasses in a dusty drawer, she discovers the most peculiar thing yet. She can travel inside these paintings to elsewhere. A world that's strangely quiet and eerily sinister. So hmm. that is that. Sounds like Lion, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe sort of thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and it's got a very cool website. Um, we checked it out. It was very neat. So uh, really cool websites are important. <laughs> you can really capture a kid's attention um, with yeah, I a think good that's website. True. And um, this one's a really good one. I think it's I think it's booksofelsewhere.com, Okay. If I remember right. And is this is a series then, right? Um, yeah, there's only one out. Um, looks definitely like it's going to be a series. Books of books, Elsewhere? The book, yeah, and it, that is. The Books of Elsewhere. So you would assume cool. that there's one, more than one. And the subtitle, the one subtitle of this first one is The Shadows. I don't remember if I said that. You know, I, I, I've, I've been going, I told you, I've been going through my grandmother's books. She mm-hmm. passed away last year. Yeah. Say passed away. What I meant to say is she died last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that term "passed away" very much. It's too weak. Hmm. Anyways, um, she died last year, and I've been going through her books, uh, trying to find you know what to do with a lot. I'm using a lot of them. I'm reading a lot of them. I'm sorting through them. And one of the ones I came across that I was actually kind of looking for is the uh, uh, book series that I really liked when I was a kid called the Children of Green No or the Green No book series, and I can't. I think it's just sort of mystery element. I don't think there's any uh, paranormal stuff, but I think when you're a kid, uh, a series is probably the best. I mean, I, I really like series books when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. maybe that's why I don't like them so much now. 
Hmm. You know, I sort of get it's it's sort of, sort of like uh, you already got to know the characters in the first one. And you want to see what's happening with them, and uh, now I don't really care that much about yeah. the characters very much. You, you remember the youth group that I do at the mm-hmm. library? I asked them that same question. Well, you know, do you guys prefer series that go on and on and on, or do you prefer a single book? And mm-hmm. it was unanimous. Um, series goes on and on and on. The series must go on. Yeah, yeah. I that's why they do them, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, series are done for adult books. I know, you know, Nelson DeMille's got a new book in the series. I guess that didn't start with Lions Game, but basically, you know, was made by Lions Game. There's a new book called The Lion, and that's a long time passed between them. But you know, there's a demand for for series. Just mm-hmm. people want them, right? That they do. They get them. They do get them. All right. Okay, this is a nifty thing that's uh, not usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sure hope I pronounce this right. Last name is Borges. Is that right? Borges? Oh, yeah. Jorge Luis Borges. Wow. Yeah. Borges, wow. Or Borges, all right. Um, now, I know him as an influence, one of uh, Gene Wolfe's influences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a book on my shelf called Labyrinth by him. Um, but this audio is just called Collected Fictions. It's read by George oh. George Guidal, translated by Andrew Hurley. Um, Borges was Argentinian. Yeah. Um, died in I, 1986. I did a post not that long ago. Maybe somebody on... Uh, is that from Simon & Schuster? This is from Penguin. Penguin, okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of the penguins reading the site and saying, hmm, who could we get yeah. to review this? Okay. Who's the re- reader? The reader is George Guidal. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it really should be and, good. It's five you know, CDs Borges is a lo- language lover, right? Mm-hmm. And George Guidal, you know, he's a language lover, too. He, the way he savors every line. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be, that's going to be a great match. Yeah. I'm, I really want to hear this one. Uh, I think, yeah, I might have even got you to listen to one Borges story. Uh, hmm. uh, why, like maybe five years ago or something like that, but... Um, it was you, really interesting stuff. Do you it's recall the like name magic. of it? Ah, I'm trying to remember now. It's I think there was a priest in a Peruvian mountain, and there was a guy there. Might have been Jesus or not. Hmm. Uh, can't remember the name of it, but I'll look okay. it up. All right. Sounds good. Okay. How about a new Anne McCaffrey? Okay. Um, well, actually, a Todd McCaffrey. <laughs> Um, Anne McCaffrey's name is on the top. It says Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern. Dragon Girl is the name of it. Uh, Todd McCaffrey is the author. Performed by Emily Durante. Um, Young Fiona, writer of the Gold Queen Talent, has returned from the past, where she and a group of dragons and riders fled so that the wounded could heal from their previous battles. Gone only three days, yet aged more than three years, Fiona is no longer a child, but a woman prepared to fight against the thread that threatens to destroy her world. Yeah, the the thread is still a threat. Yes, the thread continues to be a threat. Um, Yeah, I sure liked the original trilogy. I I haven't read anything past it. I've really only read her short stuff and a couple of, uh, I think, stuff she did with... um uh, other someone else. Mm-hmm. I was in traveling in Mexico. I guess in the nineties, um, my sister picked up some books in Mexico City, and I picked up a big stack of books. And 
I, I went through everything I had, and then I'm like, no, I don't want to reread that. I went through, you know, maybe I had the tourista, you know, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the kind of uh, temporary disease that makes you stay in the hotel or very uh, near the hotel bathroom for uh, a gotcha. couple, of, couple of days at least. And um, so I was stuck in a hotel. Uh, and I went through everything I had, and I didn't want to re- reread, so I, I borrowed some of my sister's uh, books, and one of them was an Anne McCaffrey written with someone else, and that was the only novel-length thing I've read of hers, and I guess I can't mm-hmm. really judge, but I love her short stories. Yeah. You know, her early short stories are just amazing. I'm not sure how much she's yeah. written since then, but she's she is a talented writer. She is, yeah, and the, the Dragonflight is a really, really good book. Um, really, the first three of the Dragon Riders of Pern are all really great. Oh. So. All right. And now I've got, uh, from Brilliance, I have book 12 in the Honor Harrington series called Mission of Honor, um, performed by Allison Johnson. Now, I'm not sure how far along they are. It seems to me like they're jumping around a little bit, but maybe that's just because they haven't sent us all of them. Um, but I know I haven't received 12 of them, so... Perhaps this is a new one. Um, Could be. Yeah. Oh, yep, it is. Well, no. It's a new new release, and uh, yeah, I'm a, looking. Uh, I'm looking at the date here. It says uh, this recording of Mission of Honor by David Weber, copyright 2010. David Weber. So it is a new book. It is copyright 2010 by Audible Incorporated. Okay. So. You know, um, we had uh, Paul Campbell from Scotland. Uh, uh, Cosmas Productions guy. He mm-hmm. did a review of Von Basilisk Station, which is you know yeah. the first in the series, and it's 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 a big series, but it's well regarded. I know that. Yeah, um, I, I get the same thing. I haven't read any of them, um, but yeah, it is highly regarded. I get you know people recommending it all the time. Military uh, my, SF. My wife loves the Lois McMaster Bujold for Kozigan books. I think she's read all of them, and I've read maybe four of them or so. Me too. So, no, no, I, I think I've read maybe six. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. Cool. So I have a pair here from Full Cast Audio, both in the middle grade or YA department. Um, the first one is by Bruce Coville himself. Okay. Uh, who's uh, the owner, I believe, of Full Cast Audio. Mm-hmm. Um, the Unicorn Chronicles, Book 4, The Last Hunt, The Stunning Conclusion to the Unicorn Chronicles Quartet. So that's cool. It's read by Bruce Colville and, a full, and the full cast family. He's he's super prolific, you know. Yeah, he is. He's yep. written maybe 100 books. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something like that. Um, yeah. And uh, when I, I go to the bookstore, I... I'm, you know, looking through the sh- the shelves. There's new and used, and uh, I see his books all the time. I guess his name stands out. Mm-hmm. But I like every time. Every time I'm in that, I say, I got an email from that guy to whoever's standing <laughs> in the, in the line with me. <laughs> cool. That is cool. He, he writes. He writes. I guess he must write them fast because you know I'm looking at his his uh, Wikipedia entry here, and it says uh, he got three three books. Uh, in 1999, and like ten books in 2000, and then like another five in 2001. It's like oh wow, really fast. And he's doing this as well. Incredible. Yep. Wow. All right. And then this other one is for younger kids. It's called Doctor Proctor's Fart Powder. Um, read uh, solo reading by William DeFries. 
Wow. Yeah, so we'll, let's, see this, let's see what this is about. Nilly is a new kid in school, but he doesn't let that or his tiny size slow him down. After all, he has a smart mouth, quick wits, and fearless nature to see him through. Nilly quickly makes two special friends, Lisa, a girl whose own best friend has just moved, and Dr. Proctor, who has, one, a tragic past, including lost love and betrayal, and two, a talent for inventing things like industrial strength fart powder. <laughs> yep. So I guess that's for industri- industrial strength farts. <laughs> <laughs> or is it to prevent industrial strength farts? As opposed to the, to the other type. It's like you were. It's like you were saying that the mobile, commercial, the mobile commercial. infantry, as opposed to the non-mobile infantry. Yeah, the immobile infantry. Immobile, yeah. But uh, you know, because Heinlein makes that distinction, it makes you think that maybe there are like, maybe there are guys sitting in little warehouses somewhere with a, a console in front of them and mm-hmm. running the thing mobile as a Waldo or something. You know, right. there, there. If you want to write a science fiction novel that. It's uh, guaranteed to be a success. You have to find some way to um, rewrite Starship Troopers from, uh, you know, a, a completely <laughs> different point of view just on and that you, one. And one. you have the title, Immobile Infantry. Immobile Infantry. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, uh, um, Warehouse Troopers. <laughs> that's, I like it. That's, that's great. That's great. All right, I actually have one more from uh, Full Cast Audio, so I have three. It's another solo reading. Um we talked about it before. They have an imprint now called One Voice, so they do some solo reading. Um, this one's called Water Steps by A. LeFay, also read by the author. Um, it says, Kaina has a deep-seated and well-earned fear of the water, so when her adoptive parents announce that they have rented a summer house on Lake Champlain, she begs to be left behind for the summer. Alas, this is not possible. Yet even... At the lake, Kaina does her best to avoid the water, exploring instead the forests and hillsides, documenting them with her camera. But when her new friend, Tylo, draws her into his quest for strange water creatures, Kaina finds herself pulled into unexpected discoveries, not only about the lake, but about her own unique heritage. So, like, sense and sensibility (laughs) and sea monsters for the the (laughs) middle graders. For the middle graders, right. And it's, uh, yeah, ages 8 to 12, it's uh, three CDs, about three hours long. So that's that's what I want all books to be, about that long. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, I really like the short ones like that. Well, here's Actually, a long I'm, one. I'm here's a long one. I've got a their rat, uh, the, the one they sent not that long ago, the... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the one on the spaceship. Yeah, uh, actually, no, spaceship <clears throat> rap, I haven't, a rat I haven't started yet. It's uh, another uh, rat title. Mm-hmm. And, um it's uh, it's actually full cast, um, and I, I I'm having a hard time sort of wrapping my mind about how to discuss it because it uses a a kind of uh, it's I mean an incredible shrinking rat, and it's a, a new series, but uh, this is the first one in the series, and it it's a fantasy. It uses uh, shrinking. You know, like in The Incredible Shrinking Man, mm-hmm. um, as it's sort of jumping off point. But uh, the rat is, it's not that the rat shrinks, it's when he bites you, you shrink. Ah. And um, I, I think we talked about this a little bit before. Yeah, I think I, we did a little bit, yeah. I said, that's uh, interesting. I said, there's a line in it that's really great. The, the rat gets upset and he, he pees himself because he's traumatized from when he was a baby rat. Mm-hmm. And. 
Uh, all he remembers from the trauma was the big hand <laughs> reaching down <laughs> into the cage to get him. The big hand. Mom. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of good lines in it, but it's it's so. Uh, I think I think I have to be a kid to really enjoy it because I, I just keep shaking my head, going, "Wait a second, this can't be right." I mean, the one of the everybody who isn't an actual rat or uh, like there's a professor Capubera, right? Capubera is mm-hmm. kind of rodent. Everybody in the in the story is named after a rodent, basically, who isn't the main character or actually a rodent. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, that sort of breaks my suspension of disbelief because I keep recognizing them and, and I'm, it's not like I'm appreciating it like I, I guess a kid would. Mm-hmm. A kid would say, oh, I got that. I know what a capybara is, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, I'm like, no, you can't be named capybara. That, that, that's tipping your hand or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I find myself unable to predict what's going to happen and yet that's one of the things I like to happen, so... Right. I, I haven't posted that review yet. It probably has to go through it one more, one more time to figure out what to say exactly. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, here's a big book here for you. Um, about a uh, eighteen and a half hours long. It is uh, Elizabeth Moon, The Deed of Paxinarion, Book Two, Divided Allegiance, uh, performed by Jennifer Van Dyke. Cool. And that's from uh, Brilliance. Cool. I uh, actually have farmed that out. Uh, the first one in the series. Oh, did you? I, Good. I read. I read the um, read the book uh, when I was oh, maybe when it came out. Mm-hmm. I guess late eighties, early nineties, and um, I liked it. And my sister and my sister, my my niece and her best friend are really into manga, but I'm trying to get them into audiobooks. And uh, so I was like. I was like, "Who wants to Who wants to read this first? And then, like, "Oh, I'll do it." And then I mm-hmm. said, N- "And now you have to write a review." <laughs> so we'll Great. see. We'll see if it happens. If not, I'm going to have to take it back and do it myself. All right. Great work, Jesse. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Another one from Brilliance: "The Sad Tale of the Brothers Grossbart" by Jesse Bullington, performed by Christopher Lane. Uh, we ain't thieves and we ain't killers. We's just good men been done wrong. <laughs> the year is 1364. Hungry creatures stalk the dark woods of medieval Europe, and both the sea and sky teem with unspeakable horrors. There is no foulness, however, no witch nor demon, to rival the grave-robbing twins Hegel and Manfred Grossbart. This is their tale, sad but true. Um, there's a quote here, or a blurb from Jeff Vandermeer darkly funny, profane erudite, body and wickedly original, the debut of an amazing new talent mm. yep interesting like it might work. Yeah. it is uh, 14 hours 14 and a half hours long that's brilliance as well? yep, yep brilliance okay alright, we got another oops just hit my mic there. We got another E.E. E. Knight uh, novel of the Vampire Earth from Brilliance. This is uh, Valentine's Rising, which is volume four. So I'm not sure what volume they're on at this point. Um, yeah, we've we've read these before. The backs of them. Yeah, this is a kind of a some kind of an alien invasion 
on the earth and they're uh, vampire-like. I noticed well, that... Uh, that's the space. We had that conversation about the space vampires. Right, right. Um, I noticed that graphic audio is coming out with this series as well. Oh, that might be interesting. Yeah, it might be good. All right. Oh, I have another full cast audio. This one came in separately. Um, by Tamara Pierce. The Immortals, Book 4, The Realms of the Gods. Read by Tamara Pierce and the full cast family. Uh, includes a special interview with Tamara Pierce about writing all four of the books. That's cool. I love yeah. it when they do that. Um, in the midst of a war, Dane and her mentor, Numer, are yanked into the divine realms where riddles of Dane's past are finally solved. Despite joyous, joyous reunions, the pair is desperate to return to their beloved Tortal, for the kingdom's survival depends on their great magics. It's hard to read the backs of uh, book fours, <laughs> because uh, you ruin book one, two, three if people haven't got them. I don't so. think I, I don't think you really can ru- ruin anything, mm-hmm. especially in a series. I don't think you can ruin anything. Yeah, yeah. All right, mysteries. You can definitely ruin mysteries. <laughs> Who did it? I can't really ruin anything else. All right. Okay. Hold on. I am. I've got to free one of these books from this box. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Done. Oh, you're excited about this one. All right. This is More Than Human by Theodore Sturgeon. Um, Oh, nice. Winner of the Hugo and the Nebula Award, it says. (laughs) Um, It's read by Stefan Rudnicki. Fantastic. Wow. Um, And Harlan Ellison is mentioned on there. Why is he mentioned? Oh, it's read by Stefan Rudnicki and Harlan Ellison. Cool. Yeah, that's now, great. See, now you're going to want to... Well, now I have to read. <laughs> I have to listen to me. it. Yeah? In this genre-bending novel, among the first to have launched science fiction into literature, a group of remarkable social outcasts band together for survival and discovered their combined powers rendered them superhuman. There's Lone, the simpleton who can hear other people's thoughts, Janie, who moves things without touching them, and the teleporting twins who can travel 10 feet or 10 miles. There's Baby, who invented an anti-gravity engine while still in the cradle. And Jerry, who takes everything it takes, who has everything it takes to run the world except for a conscience. Separately, they're talented freaks. Together, they may represent the next step in evolution, or the final chapter in the history of the human race. As they struggle to find whether they are meant to help humanity or destroy it, Sturgeon explores questions of power and morality, individuality, and belonging. Yeah, it's a kind of a gestalt, I guess. Um, I, I have actually, I've got. Uh, it's a, it's a fix-up, I think. And, oh, really? Yeah. Um, and so w- one of the stories is uh, Baby is Three. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it, it's a fix-up. I think it was. Um, and Baby is Three is a va- I got from Cademon uh, years and years ago on a cassette. Oh, and wow. I who, think who it was that? actually. I think it was read by Sturgeon. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to hear uh, that. Okay. Maybe I'll have to dig it up, find it. Yeah, Theodore Sturgeon. I haven't heard his voice. I, I kind of take issue with it. It's like one of the first novels to turn science fiction into literature. I, mm-hmm. I think what they mean by that is uh, uh, 
mainstream literature or popularly accepted literature because I mean H.G. Wells is literature mm-hmm. and, and that's well before as you know 50 years prior there's a quote. Oh, Frankenstein. There's, come a, on. there's a blurb on the front that from the Washington Post. It says, "A quantum leap in the development of science fiction as an art." Hmm. Hmm. Now this was written. We didn't mention in 1953 by Theodore right. Sturgeon. So. And it was uh, nominated for a Retro Hugo too, apparently. Yeah, you know, it says Theodore Sturgeon, winner of the Hugo and Nebula Awards. Maybe this novel didn't win them. I know it won one of them, didn't it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what this this one has won, but um, okay. uh, it's it's one of his big books. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm I'm still uh, I'm still still looking for somebody to release an audiobook version of of the one that made me want to start an audiobook company. And what's that again? It's uh, Microcosmic God. Oh, yes. I should have known that. Yep. I should have known that. It's just uh, such a great story, and nobody's nobody's turned it into an audiobook. It, I guess it's because it's, it's too short. It needs to be in a collection. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. We talked about Lois McMaster Bujold briefly. Uh, here's mm-hmm. another one. Um, I thought they were done with the last one, but I forgot about this one for some reason, and it's one of my favorite ones. Um, of the ones that I've read. It's Falling Free, read by Grover Gardner. Oh. And with this one, I'm pretty sure that they're, they've got every, all of them released today. They've got the universe that yeah. includes everything. Exactly, including some of the short stuff. Um, following it, This one won a Nebula Award. When I heard it, it was the Reader's Chair version. And I know there's a review of it on the site of the Reader's Chair version. Um, but this book is about uh, an engineer named Leo Graff who um, he's called in, I believe he's called in to this place where a genetically engineered race of humans are, they've been optimized for work in zero gravity, and they've become kind of a slave race because they were genetically engineered, owned by a company. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're called quaddies. What they have, instead of legs, they have another set of arms. Plus, they've kept them um, childlike. They don't really grow to an adult mentally. So, um, anyway, they're extremely efficient in zero gravity, um, and they're just kept as a slave race, and when Leo Graf arrives, you can probably guess what the plot line is from there. Um, Rebellion! But, yeah, but it's very, very good. Really well done. It's, uh... I, I, I'm not sure, you know... A, a lot of science fiction is supposed to... Uh, be talking about the present mm-hmm. and not the future. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, um, you know, factory workers have been trained for years to only do one thing, and and now they're out of work because the company's insolvent or whatever. Right. Um, it's not exactly the same thing. I think, uh, you know, if if you did actually end up working in space, uh, you won't be able to come back down. Just yeah. If you stepped on long enough, right? Yeah. And so it's it's kind <clears throat> of. It's kind of uh, maybe a, a case where it may be predictive as well as uh, appropriate for uh, talking about the present. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Now, uh, speaking of the present, are you ready for this one? Okay. Is it a present for me? <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to tell me. Okay. Paul is undead. Oh, right. I saw the... The, the British zombie invasion. 
by <laughs> Alan Goldsher, read by Simon Vance. Oh, i got to read the back of this. Simon Vance is good. Yeah. For John Lennon, a young, idealistic zombie guitarist with dreams of global <laughs> domination, Liverpool seems the ideal place to form a band that could take over the world. In an inspired act, Lennon kills and reanimates local rocker Paul McCartney, kill- kicking off an unstoppable partnership. With the addition of newly zombified guitarist George Harrison and drummer, seventh-level ninja Lord Ringo Starr, the Beatles soon cut a swath of bloody good music and bloody <laughs> violent mayhem across Europe, America, and the entire planet. You know, that one actually might be worth um, reading, if only to hear the changed lyrics, you know, to be reading... You know, oh, you, you, yeah. you know, I mean, the lyrics, you know, I want to eat your hand. <laughs> Could be. Could be, yeah. <laughs> Could be, just I'm for a, the comedy. I'm a big Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. This might be fun. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, to, what I told you, yeah, the it's Jump the Shark, I think. Yes, you. that's right. Yeah, you sent me a picture of a book called, well, it was just a cover. It's not a real book. Called, it's not a real book? No, I, I don't, I believe it's just a cover. Okay. You, you'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was fake. Okay. But it was a picture of Dorian's gray. Yeah. And it had a, a picture of an alien on the front with, you know. Better check and make sure. The almond eyes. I'm pretty sure it's not real. Yeah, you l- let me know. Let me know if it's real. That was that was like too far. That was just mm-hmm. wait. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think it's from Quirk Books. Um, I, I was really excited. I, I don't. I don't know if you remember, but when these things uh, were, the first one was coming out, I was mm-hmm. really excited about it. And I guess everybody else was too. And now it's just, it's the explosion of, it's come faster than the vampire explosion, <clears throat> you know? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I was never excited about it, but I thought it was funny. You know, that first Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, it was like, what, really, you know? And uh, <laughs> it, it was interesting enough for me to pick up at the bookstore and read chapter one. Uh-huh. But it, it was never interesting enough for me to actually get it. But now, you know, the, the paranormal romances are, are something that has gotten completely out of hand. You know, we <laughs> we must we must get like uh, I don't know at least twenty five percent of the stuff we get in is paranormal romance. It seems to me. It's and, ballast. Yeah, ship. it's it's just like you know everybody piles on and piles on and piles on, and then there's this huge wave. And then um, there's a demand for it. Yeah, yeah, but gotta uh, be. yeah, there's got to be. There's got to be. But surely it's going to stop. No, um, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think you know, romance novels don't stop. Well, that's true. And yeah. it, that's basically what it is. Is my guess is that people who read romance they read a lot. They yeah. they read a lot and they want a lot. And I wonder so, why they haven't brought back yeah. Dark Shadows. Uh, I think I think there was an audio drama version not that long ago. Yeah, they they ought to bring it back for uh, television. It was a soap opera. You know, I don't even know if soap operas exist anymore. Do they? Of course they do. Okay. I, I don't watch them, but of yeah. Course. All right. I assume they just uh, are less popular. <laughs> yeah. I just don't hear about them anymore. You know, uh, uh, like my yeah, mom. My mom would always talk anymore, about you? you know she's got to catch her story. She always called it her story. And uh, I don't think I've heard her say that for years and years. I'm just wondering if they stopped making them. I, th- I think they are slowly dying, and they have been slowly dying since since the 50s, I guess. Um, I, I know that there was one uh, one major one that that died. Susan Lucci was on her. So I don't know. Some, I, like, mm. 
know who Susan Lucci is, but um, Susan <laughs> but yeah, Lucci I think was I think was so on Fal- dying, Falcon's but, Quest or something like Falcon something. Yeah, okay, so those that's a good example. Those those prime time soaps kind of died pretty quick, mm-hmm. right? Including soap. Did you ever watch soap? Oh, soap was great. That was a really great <laughs> show. I found that on my Netflix uh, streaming, and I watched a couple episodes, and yeah, they're crazy. Uh, well, it's it's dated, but it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, I I had, I had forgotten <laughs> somehow. I had forgotten that Billy Crystal was in that. Oh no, he yeah, because uh, you know maybe I was yeah. N- well, he was gay. I, I don't oh, I don't I know remember. that he was a transvestite. He you know. No, that I'm thinking Mash. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jamie Farr. Yeah, there you go. but he was he was uh, he was yeah, pretending he was to that. be a transvestite in order to get out of the army. No, I, now now you're thinking of Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he was. The jury's out on him. No, he was pretending to be homosexual so he could have two female roommates and not be kicked out by the prude police. Ah, uh, do you remember Bosom Buddies? No, I actually missed that one. Ah, uh, that's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, I forget who the other guy was. But they dressed up as women in order to, because they got a really good apartment in a building full of women. That was a funny show, too. If I, you know, Who knows if it's funny now? It was funny then. You know, oh. I, I enjoyed it then. All right. Okay, here's one, another one um, from Blackstone Audio. Uh-huh. Uh, Witter Shins by Charles DeLint, read by Kate Redding. Um, it's a big one. It is 17 CDs long, 21 hours. Ever since Jilly Coppercorn and Geordi Riddell were introduced in DeLint's first Newford story, Time Skip, back in 1989, their friends and readers alike have been waiting for them to realize that they belong together. Now in Wittershins, a standalone novel of fairy courts set in shopping malls and the bohemian street scene of Newford's Crowsey area, Jilly and Geordie's story is finally being told. Before it's over, we'll find ourselves plunged into the rancorous and sometimes violent conflict between the magical North American animal people and the more newly arrived fairy folk. We'll watch as Jilly is held captive in a sinister world based on her own worst memories, and Jordy, attempting to help, is sent someplace even worse. And we'll be captivated by the power of love and determination to redeem ancient hatreds and heal old magic's gone sour. Urban fantasy alert. Yep, urban fantasy. Uh, that's in the Newford series, you said? Uh, yeah, it's, it says it's a standalone novel, but... In the Newford series, though, yeah. right? I think most of them are standalones. Are they? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, well, it's not like they they lead into each other. I think they're just stories told in a, uh, in a in a universe, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, Charles Dillon is is really prolific. I think there's like twenty books in that series. Oh wow, that's a lot. You know, what like one a year or something like that since the '90s. <laughs> cool. All right, here's another one you're going to be excited about. I can mm-hmm. tell you right now. Mind Swap by Robert, oh, yeah, 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 Robert yeah. Sheckley, yeah. read by Tom Weiner from Blackstone Audio. Very cool awesome. cover. Wow, I like that art. Can't even What's describe it? it. It's a uh, Mind Swap in um, cool 3D letters, and on one side is a man screaming, and on the other side is some kind of an alien face. It's just very well done. Really nice piece of art. Um, it's only four and a half hours long. On four CDs, it is unabridged. 
Interstellar travel to alien worlds is too expensive for Marvin, a college student in need of a good vacation. And so he signs up for what he can afford, mind swap, in which his consciousness is swapped into the body of an alien life form. Unfortunately, Marvin finds himself in the body of an interstellar criminal, a body that he has to vacate fast. But that criminal consciousness has stolen Marvin's earthly body. Now Marvin has to find a body on the black market just to stay alive. Travel huh. with Marvin from world to world, each one crazier than the last, as he keeps finding far from ideal bodies in awful situations. It sounds like a, almost a parody of Altered Carbon, you know? Yeah. It obviously, it's way earlier. And, you know, I, what I like most about it, I'm looking at, at the art, and it, you're right, it, that is gorgeous. It must, mm. That must, I don't know who commissioned that, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's nice. Um, and uh, it's only 4.3 4. hours. Yeah. Uh, wrote it in 1966. Nice. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving. I'm eating up all the Tom Weiner stuff. I'm. I'm. I think I'm in book three of the uh, Galaxy trilogy series. Uh huh. And uh, I'm about. Uh, actually, I'm closing in on the end of it. Uh, there's three books in each of the Galaxy trilogy, and they're all like three or four discs long. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, second one I just finished. Uh, really terrific uh, premise by a novelist I've never read before Manly Wade Wellman you heard of him? yeah 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 um, it's uh, it's called Giants of Eternity and it's uh, I, I didn't know what to expect from it right uh, but it just uh, it starts off there's a um, a uh, farmer out in Kansas and he tells his son to go out and see what's wrong with the cows they're making some noise right mm-hmm Sun doesn't come back in. He goes outside, and uh, it's dark. But uh, he sees that there's something wrong just off the porch, and it's his son who's slowly dissolving into a red puddle that's sort of surrounding the whole farm up to the edge of the house now. And apparently, uh, something dropped into the lake last night, and it's eating its way across Kansas. Hmm. And um, it turns out that you know this is a red plague and luke luke burge told me it reminded him instantly when i was describing it uh as the beginning of um where, where are the worlds right mm-hmm. yeah and it, that didn't occur to me but of course that makes sense after i hear it and um but the title is really interesting the title refers to um the the line about how you know if we see farther it's because we stand on the shoulder of giants mm-hmm. right Yep. So the giants of eternity of the title are the the scientists, and they have to recruit the world's greatest scientists to help stop the plague. Uh, it's you know this all-consuming red mass that's you know spreading out in a circular pattern, um, and they have to go back and get the dead bodies of people and revive them. But they have the technology. Hmm. So it's an amazing story, amazing, amazing premise for a story. I'm not sure how great the, the actual novel is, mm-hmm. but the premise is um, just astounding. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's yeah that, Tom um, Weiner. Tom Weiner's awesome. He's a, just, good. He, he, I, I don't know if it's he's he's the guy picking him, or they just keep assigning him great Blackstone stuff. So I'm sort of uh, cottoning on to whatever he's reading. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll just take that. Just like almost George Goodall, pick almost anything he does too. Yeah, for certain. 
All right. Um, and here's one of my favorite narrators, another Stefan Rudnicki. Um, I really enjoy his stuff. Uh, this is an Alex Bledsoe book, the same guy who wrote that Blood Groove. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's called The Girls with Games of Blood. Old World Vampire Baron Rudolfo Zygniski, staked in 1915 Wales, rises anew in 1975 Memphis. Through a group of modern vampires, including the beautiful perpetual teenager Favette, he has learned to navigate this new era and prepares to reclaim his former wealth and power. But fresh dangers lurk in this society of funk, fast cars, and racial tension. A celebrity sheriff cheated by Zygniski becomes obsessed with revenge. Favette and Leonardo, another young vampire, begin to question his leadership. And two mysterious vampire sisters, who have nursed lethal grudge since the Civil War, converge on Zygniski. One is dark and serious and can draw energy without killing. The other is light, scheming, and without a conscience. Zygniski must use all of his wits and vampiric powers if he is to survive the girls with their games of blood. I, You know, I really got to get into some of, some of these books because... Um, just reading the descriptions of them, they always sound really interesting. I just never, I've never picked up an Alex Bledsoe, uh-huh. you know. But I, I, I keep hearing the name and I keep reading that the the titles are awesome. Like Blood Groove is a great title, and uh, he's got the one called the Sword Edge Blonde too. I think that's yeah, one of his. Yeah, that's right. That is one of his. Mm-hmm. And you know, picking maybe maybe it's hit, maybe Alex Bledsoe is not picking the titles, but. Whoever's picking the titles, Burn Me Deadly, you know, like Kiss Me Deadly. Mm-hmm. That's just great stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's made for me. All right. Okay, and then this is the last hard copy I have. Um, haven't looked at Audible yet. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Bova, book four of Voyagers. Okay. Called so the, that's the end of the series, right? Yeah, called The Return, right. Um, after more than a century of exploring the stars, Keith Stoner returns to Earth to find that the world he has come back to does not match the one he left. The planet is suffering the consequences of disastrous greenhouse flooding. Most nations have been taken over by ultra-conservative religion-based governments, such as the new morality in the United States. With population ballooning and resources running out, Earth is headed for nuclear war. Stoner, the star voyager, wants to save Earth's people, but first he must save himself from the frightened and ambitious zealots who want to destroy this stranger, and the terrifying message he brings from the stars. Hmm, that doesn't sound too bad. No, it doesn't. Um, I sure like him. Um, I've got to follow through. I listened to Voyagers 1, and man, did I like that book. There, There was a passage in that book, pretty much the last two CDs of the audiobook, Mm-hmm. I actually listened to them again. They were so great. As soon as I was done, I went back to it was like CD eleven Sense and twelve. Sense of wonder stuff. Yeah, really, really full of that. I mean, it was just fantastic. Um, but the, the Voyagers one, it was it was a really good book. There was a lot of stuff going on in it. A lot of you know first contacty uh, politics and you know people. You know, how does the world react? You know, you got the Vatican. Back in ancient, uh, yeah. yeah, all all this stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But I haven't read Voyagers 2 yet. So you're going to have to do 2 before you can do 3, and then 3 before you can do 4. Exactly. Exactly. Because this is a series. But it is worth it. You know, and I really like his um, Planet series, too. 
You know, he, he, the, he must have. This like, is all part of the Grand Tour, right? I don't think that the Voyager ones are part of the Grand Tour. I think no? the Grand Tour is separate. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 pretty sure about that because, um, I, I guess I could be wrong. You know, please write in and correct us if we're, if I'm wrong. <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure that those are separate from the Grand Tour ones. But the Grand Tour ones, um, they encompass things like you know Empire Builders, you know stuff that was before. You know, Mars, I think, was the first one that he wrote. But um, there's stuff that happens before that and Empire Builders and things, and then there's stuff that happens, you know, way after that. You know, you got Venus and Saturn and um, all that stuff. Yep. Um, the, my fa- my favorites Empire of those Builders. type are the Asteroid War series, which I have heard. I think I've heard them all. Um, book four of that one, it, was, it sticks in my memory particularly because there was a family who uh, the family business was basically trucking. You know, they, would, they had a spaceship in which they'd go someplace, pick something up, and bring it somewhere, and that was the family business. So there was a, a couple and their son and daughter on this ship. Well, they ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time at a space station that got attacked um, during this asteroid war, and... Um, the the youngest boy ended up well I, I can't remember who was left on the ship but the the boy and I think his mom and daughter everybody but the the man I think were left on the ship and they had to figure out how to get it where it needed to go so that they'd survive and it ended up they had to be in this great big long arc of a an Very orbit long. that's all they had you know all the fuel they had but you know they figured it out and they put themselves in that orbit so that they would eventually hit something. And um, then it's basically, you know, not until the end of the book that everything comes back together. You know, because hmm. it goes now to the father who's been left on the station and now is dealing with all of the yeah, aftermath. Yeah, you can of, see the drama inherent in that, just yeah. the family separated. Right. So, very, very good book. And that was number four. I can't remember the subtitle, but it was Asteroid Wars, book four. It struck me not that you know you put that uh, you were talking to Harlan Ellison in the last uh, couple podcasts ago and uh, in the in the 2006 interview, but I, I was listening to it again and and it reminded me you know what he was saying about reading um, someone else's words, mm-hmm. you know just how how do you perform someone else's words and um, Ben Bova and. Harlan Ellison, I think, probably have the exact opposite style, if there is such a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Bova's sort of cold and clinical when it comes to, you know, get the facts in, tell the story, right? And Harlan mm-hmm. Ellison is like, uh, almost like rabid when he comes to, you know, the writing. It's yeah. almost rabid, uh, ragged-edged. Well, I, I don't know. Just the writing. I'm not yeah, talking yeah, about I know, I know you're talking about the writing, but I heard uh, Harlan Ellison actually read a Ben Bova. It was called City, mm-hmm. of, City of Darkness. Yeah, it's a great book. It is a wonderful book. and um, Great audio book. It was, it was like the perfect match of narrator to, to writer. It's true. And, uh, yeah, Harlan Ellison just reads like nobody else. You know, I, I don't know why more people don't read like him. The, the, there's only one. They can't. They yeah, I, can't. I don't know. It, it's, it's like he's so full of emotion when he's reading that... I think he's full of emotion I, at all times. Yeah, I think, all you time. could, I think you could leave out a lot of the words, even you know, and he just—I uh, mean, just what he yeah, conveys he during the reading when he's doing it. Yeah, right? but um, and ragged breathing and all sorts of—he's—he's—he's yeah. he's, 
Yeah. 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 He's definitely performing it. So, yeah, I really enjoy his reading. So I wonder how much of him is in More Than Human. That's going to be a really good question, but um, I, I, now that, you know, thinking about the Theodore Sturgeon one, he, I don't think that the, the one I, you know, the baby is three I have, I don't think it was, um, I don't think Theodore Sturgeon's reading is that great, but I also can't remember it, so I'm going to have to dig it out and find out. Yeah. How, how do you feel, I think we had a conversation about this before, um, I really like those author readings of the Kaidman stuff. To me, there's a, you know, Arthur C. Clarke is not the best reader ever. But to have a copy of him reading The Star is just immensely precious to me. He's a terrible reader, in fact. But um, I loved that. I think I think it's, as long as it's not the definitive version, I think that's it's a very interesting way to go. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'd, uh, Theodore Sturgeon's not a great reader. He's kind of... Yeah, but I'd still, I'd still love. But on the other hand, Harlan Ellison's terrific, and so I, I think you can't just have a single rule. Yeah, well, you can't have a single rule. That's that's right. Um, Neil Gaiman is another writer that's astounding. I mean, he could read other other people's stuff, no problem. (laughs) He's got a great voice for it. He does. He does. Speaking of uh, people with great voices, I'm listening to Jim Dale read uh, "Around the World in 80 Days." Oh, no kidding! I haven't heard I haven't heard Jim Dale since uh, the original Harry Potter book, Mm -hmm. and although I didn't like the the original Harry Potter book very much, I I appreciated you know it was well written and all that. But um, I I think you know Jim Dale is a terrific narrator. Oh, he's he's unbelievable. He's he's very talented. He's he's not he's not the same as you know the. Harlan Ellison is unbelievable, and Jim oh, Dale's unbelievable. But they're different, like different kinds different, of but... unbelievable. They're both just wonderful. Yeah, Harlan Ellison's not an actor. You, you couldn't. He's not perform. He doesn't. Uh, yeah, like he was saying, I think he doesn't do. Uh, so, what was the accent? He doesn't do. Oh, I can't recall. I can't Anyways, recall. Yeah. yeah, he he doesn't do a lot of accents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a few few accents he does, but um, Jim Dale is is he's a he's more of a vocal chameleon mm-hmm. and. He's got a rich, rich delivery, and it really makes the books, I think. You know another author whose narration I like is Who's that? Douglas Adams. Yes, yes. Yeah. He's, I, I he's have a uh, Hitchhiker's good. Guide to the Galaxy live in concert, and uh-huh. that is so funny. Oh, my goodness. I I've, must have heard it about ten times. I, I, I wouldn't say he's so it. good I'd want him to read, you know, just regular audiobooks. I, mm-hmm. Obviously, he's not going to do that. But um, I think you know it does work sometimes to have authors reading their own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I wouldn't I, mind Douglas that. Well, you know, it's impossible, but I wouldn't mind him reading. <laughs> no, it's not anything impossible I wrote. He can read. <laughs> you can you can take all that he's he's recorded and you know digitize it and <laughs> have a computer do it. But it, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think I don't think we want to do that. Right. Right. So any more any more stuff come nope, in? No, I don't have anything else. That is all. Okay. That is all. Well, I, it's been a while since we've done one of these uh, new release uh, recent arrivals posts mm-hmm. or casts, I should say. Um, and I, I think it's time we I, I, we talked about Footfall not that long ago. Oh yeah, that, mm-hmm. that it was released and that that was a kind of a surprise uh, surprise niceness. Yeah. Uh, there's another new release on uh, just just came out. I see on um, Audible that is from Audible Frontiers, and I'm I'm hoping people will get into because I really really liked it. And it's a public domain book, 
so their version is not public domain because it's um uh you know it's their version they've got a copyright on the the narration but um it says <laughs> I, I like they've said public domain uh and then p in brackets instead of c uh 2010 audible inc well what they mean is the story is public domain and the reading is copyright mm. audible right yeah mm-hmm. but uh police your planet by lester del rey oh wow I'm a big fan of Lester Del Rey's sort of um, uh, mid-length novels. He wrote a bunch of them. You know, I don't know for sure that I've read anything by him. I've read... uh, The one that pops into my mind is Less Darkness Fall, but that's DeCamp, right? Yeah, that's... yeah. L. Sprague DeCamp. Now, I read that one, um, but I can't think of a Del Rey that I've read. Well, he's he's best known for being the the publisher, right? Right, right. Um, And that's... Yeah, the famous story I remember about him is, you know, I hope I have him right again, because I think I confuse him with other guys, but uh, Sword of Shannara by Terry Brooks was published to great, you know, it did wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. And then he wrote um, The Elstones of Shannara, and Del Rey sent him back to the drawing board. He said, this isn't this isn't good <laughs> enough. You get, You know, you're not doing this right. <laughs> he, I think Terry Brooks tells that story. I sure hope I have all the names right on that. No, uh, I, uh, Elfstones of Shannara reminds me of, uh, I just had my birthday party recently, and my uh, my best friend from high school was there, sort of reunion, I haven't seen him for a long time, and uh, his brother was really into uh, into the Elfstones of Shannara, and I, I, I picked it up, and I said, I'm not so into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not well, so into it. Yeah. It's it's Tolkien esque fantasy, you know. It absolutely I read, is. I read all three of them. They were it was a trilogy, you know. When I was a kid, it was a trilogy. Pluto was also a planet when I was a kid, and um, but that's the only three that were out there, and I loved all three of them. I read them before I read Lord of the Rings, which I think is is wrong. Yeah, you did it, <laughs> you did it backwards, dude. Yeah. Um, it's sick and wrong. You I, know, you, oops, go ahead. No, uh, no. I was just going to say, one thing that's floating around out there um, Um, on the internet is um, Audible is going to publish some more Neil Stevenson. uh Did you get that? No, I I never received an email on that, but I saw that an email was sent, so we need to tell Steve to make sure he includes us. (laughs) Well, we're going to have Steve Feldberg on uh, sometime in August, aren't we? Um, I I don't know. That would be great if we do. I think that was the plan. Oh, maybe he's going to have to ask him about it. Anyway, the uh, oh, what's that series called? The Quicksilver and mm-hmm. um, yeah, those, those books. Yeah, they're they're going to do those books. Okay. Um, and, you, and something like yeah, and something like seven installments. They're they're splitting them up. <laughs> yeah. Good. But it's not yeah. Instead of three books, it's going to be like this is what I read. So hopefully it's true. Well, you they have to do it. Otherwise, there would be you know somebody with. Uh, Really mad that oh, they have to use like six audible credits to get the books. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're they're giant. But his his latest book was even uh, more gianter. The Anathem, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that was that two uh, credits on Audible? I'm not sure. No, I think it was still one. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm... Can't. Couldn't have been. I'm looking I'll it up right now. I'm checking. I'm checking too. You can't check. It I'm says two credits. So there. I- you're right. You're right. I think I think that some people I think some people who got accounts really early in Audible's thing um, mm-hmm. get everything for one credit, regardless of how many credits they charge for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the exception. Right. Um, and, uh, and you know, that's a good thing to be in it in early. Um, that's, is that book two years old now? Yeah. Anathem? Yeah. I can't believe that. Well, it was up for, it's not up for Hugo this year, is it? I think, no. it, is it? Well, it says Audible release date, uh, 09 Wait, 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 wait. 09-2508, that's probably U.S. for 2009. <laughs> 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 yes, I think that. That's what it, that. Was yeah, it is. It is not up this year. So it was up last year for Hugo. Okay. All yeah. right, I'll try and figure this. No, oh wait, means that's something that I, I don't think we've I can't mentioned it's either. Two years ago. Yeah. What's that? That um, all these books are available on audio. I think they all are. Well, all but one. But I think that last one's coming out. The the six novels that are on the best novel ballot for the Hugo Awards. Oh. Um, Bone Shaker by Cherry Priest is available through Audible. The City in the City, I think, is also Audible yes, by China Mayaville. Julian Comstock, A Story of 22nd Century America. Um, I reviewed that from Macmillan. Right. Right. Uh, Palimpsest by Catherine M. Valente. I believe that's coming from Audible, but I'm not, I don't think it's out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Wake by Robert J. Sawyer is available on Audible and Brilliance Audio. And the wind-up girl by Paolo Basigalupi is um, also available on Brilliance and Audible. Right. I think that's the first time that's happened. I, I, and I'm pretty sure when I originally saw the ballad and I looked it up, Palimpsest was on its way to audio. So the, all six of them were going to be available. Let me look that up, see where I got that information. Audible's still pumping out. Uh, their Audible Frontiers are still pumping out a lot of stuff. I, I, I think you know they've discovered that there's a big demand for, for material. I mean, I, I know actually that's the reason they've done mm-hmm. it is because you know their their audiobook that they get from regular publishers is just not enough to, right. <laughs> to satisfy the demand of the voracious readers out there. And yeah, uh, if you, if you heard the news not that long ago, um, I believe Amazon. It's just announced that uh, they are now selling more uh, Kindle Kindle stories or Kindle sales mm-hmm. than hardcovers. No kidding. Well, I yeah. bought well. You know, I I would buy books on paperback. Uh, what was that called? Paperback not, swap. Not paperback swap. The it was a oh, oh fiction wise. Fiction wise. Yeah, I don't know why I got paperback sure. mixed in there. On fiction wise, and also oh, paperback digital. Remember them. Yeah, yep. I would buy ebooks from there too. So I, I went through a phase where I was reading books on a Palm Pilot, right? And then I kind of stopped and got away from that. And then you know oh, I kind of got in, I, I like the paper books again, um, but I just bought my first book from Barnes and Noble, which mm-hmm. was the uh, the year's best science fiction twenty seven, uh, edited by Gardner Dozois. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get that collection every year, um, but this year I bought it digitally, mm-hmm. and I can read it on my MacBook with the, you know, the application that's free from Barnes and Noble. So, mm-hmm. anyway, trying it out and it's working just fine. I, I like to read on it. Um, you you it need a, a twenty-seven inch monitor that's uh, <laughs> aligned uh, vertically. The, the MacBook that I have that we're actually recording this on is uh, the thirteen-inch MacBook Pro. And uh, I absolutely love it. I'm definitely sold on the apples now. Are you? Yeah. I I still have to run Windows using um, VMware 
Um, but it does it, you know. So you have every everything possible. Um, it has a really nice writing application called Scrivener. In fact, uh, Kelly Stanley <laughs> talked about that, and I tried it. Right. Out and I love it. It's great. Okay. Um, yeah, but I love it. Did I? Okay, I just looked up Palimpsest by Catherine M. Valente, and mm-hmm. it is going to be released on August 15th. So it won't be available soon enough to listen to before the Hugos, but um, in fact, I think the voting would be well over by then, but um, it's just neat. I think that's the first time that I can remember that all of the novels are available on audio. That's cool. It is neat. We've you know Things have changed so much since we started. And I, Looking I at- think you are personally responsible, too. <laughs> I'll, I'll take I take all credit and no blame. Um, I, I'm looking at the uh, just the, I'm just going through the Audible list and there's a lot of stuff I've never heard never heard of, but I'm seeing that they're doing a pretty fast transition between the um, the uh, Audible only exclusive editions and and the uh, Brilliance hard hard copy edition. Now they're not doing everything mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. but they're doing a lot uh, or at least some of it. Right. And uh, so Sheep Farmer's Daughter, the Dita Paxanarian, which we got, I guess, a month ago uh-huh. um, or so, is uh, came out on uh, January, February, March. Um, and then uh, Oath of Gold, which is the bo- third book in the series, came out uh, the same month, right? Yeah. That that fast speed up, you know, is... I, I can't imagine it hurts at all because... No, it's all the same company, right? <laughs> or all the same... Yeah, the same parent, right? Parent company. So it, it it's just a great way of keeping the the thing going and you can get them into libraries that way. Um, uh, by the way, you know, I stopped listening to the Functional Nerds podcast not that long ago, but mm-hmm. uh, they, they got me a reason to come back because they had Mike Resnick on. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Cool. Well, well worth listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great storyteller and talks about you know how much writing he's doing and how he's writing more than he really ever has or at least a lot mm-hmm. and um, i'm i'm gonna have to pick up some more resnick just because it was such a great interview oh wow that's great i yeah, like i like him so much it's he's he's a great writer and he's it, it, he he talks just like he writes you know mm-hmm. um he just really with intelligence and good humor and um it's uh something i'm I'm going to have to pick up another one soon because good, big fan of his. Yeah. Um, another couple that I see here on Audible that are well worth mentioning. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Bossy Galupi again. Yeah. I sure hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, Pump Six and Other Stories. So there's a short story collection. I, you know, mm-hmm. I really like those. So I want to pick that one up. And um, I've lost it here. We've got one out for review right now um, called The Alchemist and the Executionists by Basigalupi and Tobias S. Bakel, narrated yeah, by that, Jonathan Davis and Catherine Kelgren. Yeah, um, that is, that is uh, I think we, I just saw a tweet, a tweet that uh, Tobias Bakel is looking forward to our review. <laughs> oh, that's great. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's out for review and it should be, you know, hopefully soon. It's not a long audiobook, so hopefully it will be back. Um yeah, it's only uh it's only seven bucks. If uh oh, that's if you don't deal. if you don't use a credit, it's only seven dollars if you're a member. That's a good deal. 
Yeah. So one thing I'm not clear of, it, it looks to me like this is an audio exclusive. Yeah, it's audio exclusive. Okay, yeah. yeah. It'll probably end up in, you know, uh, uh, subterranean. subterranean. Yeah. 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 That's neat. The more they do this the kind of thing, the better. I love it. I, I completely agree. All right. So, have you uh, you got a pick of a, a pick? Yes, I do have a pick of the week. Actually, I do. What have you got? Um, Despicable Me. Oh right. Oh man, is that a good movie? Holy cow! I tell you what, I've not laughed that hard for a long time in a movie. It was it it caught me completely by surprise. I, I saw very little of the you know previews or mm-hmm. um, commercials or whatever. And my daughter wanted to see it, and I was like, ah, okay, you know. And I go in there, and I was just blown away. I laughed so hard. It was, uh, it was just fantastic. So Steve Carell uh, was the main character in that show. He plays a super villain. And, uh, oh, funny. He doesn't have that distinctive a voice, though. That, oh, that's... man, it's great. <laughs> the voice. I, I, just, I don't yeah. recognize his voice. I, I mean, uh-huh. I recognize his, he's a great performer, mm-hmm. but... His voice doesn't say, you know, oh, he's got to be... Like, Harlan it's, Ellis would make a great... It is so perfect. I mean, just, you know, he's not doing his own... He's doing an impression mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing. And, uh, oh, it's good. <laughs> Highly recommended. Yeah, de- definitely cool. at least check out the trailer because, uh, you know, there's some funny stuff in the trailer even. Um, one disappointment in the movie, though, is I downloaded this Best Buy thing where you know somebody told me hey before you see that you should download this thing and you and you download it on your iPhone and mm-hmm. you you press a button right when the movie starts mm-hmm. and then at the end there's these things called minions in the movie and the minions they talk kind of gibberish so you can't really understand them um, translates them yeah and it's supposed to translate them uh, for you when the movie's over but mm-hmm. uh, it didn't work <laughs> okay so I was uh, I was highly it, highly disappointed does it record what's no, going on? No, I really, it, it seems to be tied to your location. Okay. It's, it's more like, um, okay, he's at this location, and from some of our records, we know that it starts at 1110 or whatever, and, and uh, you know, we're going to kick on his phone at this time. You know, that's what I'm assuming, but the phone actually stays on the entire show. So maybe it is listening. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Be. Yeah, you know what's funny though is that that is uh, that's that's the exact sort of stuff that would get you uh, you know arrested in a lot of places because mm. you're not supposed to record uh, you know in the theater, right? It's a private showing. Uh-huh. It's not like you're walking down the street. You you, you can't record in there um, without running the risk of um, being considered a pirate, even mm. even audio. So I guess whoever came up with this idea, you know, licensed that or allowed it or, you know, it's just listening for the... But I, I don't know why you would have to, like, since it's it's going to tell you at the end, why would you even have to record it, right? Yeah, good. Well, I mean, I don't think it recorded it. I think it would, it would you know, the way, the way that I would think that it would work if I was writing the thing is I would do some kind of a high-pitched tone or something in the movie that it's listening for, and once it hears that, it kicks it on. Maybe you know? yeah, that might work. <coughs> Maybe their speakers just weren't weren't. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and and another thing is we watched the two D version because three um, D just sucks. Yeah. So I really hate it. And um, anyway, we watched the three D version, and it did say uh, maybe it was the three D version of the movie only that it worked yeah. on. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know what I'm going to pick. I'm gonna <coughs> What's pick that? 
for my pick of the week. Hmm. Police Your Planet by Police Lester Dunn. Fantastic. Yep. Um, right. Let me. Uh, I've got the. Um, I've got the. Uh, I was going to say Wikipedia entry, but it's not. Um, I've got the description from the the back of the book. I guess mm-hmm. it says. Bruce Gordon was an ex-fighter, ex-gambler, ex-cop, ex-reporter, and now he was an ex-patriot of Earth. Security shipped him to Mars with a knife, a hundred credits, and a yellow card that meant no return. (laughs) (laughs) A science fiction novel that would appeal to Mickey Spillane fans. Police Your Planet features a lot of violence, beatings, and blood. But this isn't just a crime novel put into space. This is a hard SF novel, and the terraforming of Mars is central to the story. Um... It's yeah, it's it's basically uh, domed domed uh, settlers on Mars and and uh, I, I it's it's sort of um, it's sort of uh, pulpy in a way, mm-hmm. but it's fast paced and I quite like it. I quite liked it. Right. I, I have a paperback copy. It's available on Gutenberg, and now there's a terrific uh, going to be a terrific uh, version on. Um, on Audible that I'm probably going to have to listen to. I think there is also, I'm pretty sure that there is an audiobook version on LibriVox. Let me just check that. Um, and it is on the, ch- it's on from our challenge, uh, hmm. number two. All right. Okay. Make sure who, I'm trying to go by memory. I can never do it. Uh, police. Oops. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? It has not been released, it looks like. Oh, okay. You know why? Zombie Astronaut claimed it. Ah. And he has not yet released it. Uh, probably because he's busy recording a thousand podcasts. <laughs> what is Zombie um, Astronaut up to, anyways? Well, um, he's, you know, he runs two podcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one's the. Frequency, frequency of Fear, and the other's Frequency Light, which is basically the sh- same show, but one has additional content and one doesn't. Um, but he is a madman. He, he's got so much going on in the show. It's like he, he must write, you know, three pages for every page of regular audio drama. You know, uh-huh. he's got so much packed in there, and they're long shows. They're not short. And he produces them very quickly. And they sound terrific. So, huh. uh, if 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 it's true that Zombie has stopped working on Police Your Planet, um, which is a shame because he's got a great voice, um, somebody else should pick up pick it up and do an audiobook version of it. <laughs> oh, I just uh, went to zombieastronaut.net and he's got mm-hmm. a very cool little SFF audio link on there. Yeah, sort of an forty-eight old inch talking SFF audio. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, a great. Um, sort of homage to the old comic books, you mm-hmm. know, the ads in the comic books in the background, and it might be a little bit too, um, might be a little bit too, uh, you know, if you're just visiting the website for the first time and you don't know what SFF audio is. Mm-hmm. I like it. I, right? love I dig. It. It. I love it. Um, but you might say, what? What? That's a 48-inch packing SFF <laughs> audio. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.